All right, we're going to read from Luke 7, verse 1 to 10, NIV Bible. We're going to drop into this amazing encounter Jesus had with this individual. Jesus entered Capernaum, and there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard about Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was on his way to the house when the centurion sent friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Everybody say amazed. amazed. I think whatever amazes God is worth paying attention to. Because I think the gaps between God being amazed are getting bigger. I don't think God's often amazed. And he wasn't often amazed in Scripture. But when it says Jesus was, we need to just go on pause and think, okay, what was so amazing, Jesus, about this encounter, which is what we're going to look at this morning. He was amazed and turned to the crowd following him. He said, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. In other words, even in the church, even amongst you guys that are with me 24-7, wow. that are privileged, behind the scenes guys with me. I'm amazed because this guy has come up with something, done something, said something, knows something that none of you who are with me all the time know. And he said, I've not found such great faith even amongst you. Then the men who had been sent returned back to the centurion's house to find the servant well. I'm going to speak to you about a term I invented because that's, I can invent a term if I like, so can you. Sometimes you come across something in life and none of the off-the-shelf terms will do. So you have to invent one. You watch, you know, a few years from now, they'll all be using it and I should have copyrighted it. This message is entitled The Centurion Factor. Because I think this man brings something to the table here that deserves to be separated out, that deserves to not blend in as another ingredient in Scripture, in an encounter, but as a distinct factor that amazed Jesus. And the reason Jesus is amazed is because here's a man with wealth and power and authority. Clearly, he has all of those things. He is a major leader in the Roman military. We know he's a man of wealth because when the elders of the Jews approached Jesus on his behalf, he didn't know Jesus, but he knew these elders of the Jews. And he had a problem his power and authority and wealth couldn't fix. So he appeals to these elders to approach Jesus on his behalf. And they say to Jesus, maybe thinking he needed to persuade him to go to this man's house. Because he is an outsider. He is not the kind of person 
a church leader would want to be seen hanging out with, let alone going to his home. As far as the Jews were concerned, the Romans, of course, were their enemies and their oppressors. So Jesus is persuaded by the Jews as if he needed it. I'm sure he didn't. This man deserves to have you help him because he loves our nation. He is sympathetic to the church and our cause. So much so, he built our synagogue. This is an outsider. This is a, a non-church-going, non-Christian businessman, stroke, military commander who has wealth and so appreciated what the church were trying to do that he wrote a check for the church building. How many would be open to that idea? You need a new building. This building's no good anymore for what's coming next for you. It's just not. If I walked in here as a first-time visitor, I'd be thinking, these people need an upgrade in their premises. Now, before that, you've got to get an upgrade inside you first. So that's what we're talking about today and what you've been talking about, no doubt, all the time. But so that we don't get into a bigger building, but we have the same size people. So the building becomes bigger than we are, and we finish up serving the venue. So we don't want that. So this guy finances the church building. I think there are people in Nottingham that would like to do that for you. Do you know why they're not doing it? Because we don't know them. And the ones we know of, in our minds, we have often demonized them and judged them. And, and if we haven't said it to their face, that impression of the church in this country is not a favorable one for them to be sympathetic to our cause, for them to step in and help us in something. But believe me, in this next 10 years for this church, some of the stuff you need is not in this church. It's in town. It's in the city. But it's something that is not in this church. It is a resource. It is an idea. It is a relationship. It is even a phone number. And the having of that phone number and the connecting with the person who has it will open doors to you that all your shabba doing never will. And the only way this happens for churches is that we are smart like these elders. We build relationships with people that would not be welcome in most churches. And so that sometime down the line, not that we build relationships for that reason, but we build relationships with people who are not included in our circle of love. These elders did. And this guy clearly loved them and appreciated them for it and financed their synagogue. I've always believed that our resources are in our relationships. If you build a relation, a relational rich life, God will never have a problem getting stuff to you. Because everything you need, someone has. But if you don't know that someone, what they have that you need will not come to you. So God doesn't have what you need. People have what you need. So if you don't build a large circle of friendship, if we can't stop being so narrow-minded that we couldn't be seen relating to or having coffee with or having dinner with or being in the home of certain people that you'd be frowned upon if you were seen with them, then we continue to restrict our circle of relationship 
which continues to limit our circle of resource. Every time you add a new person to your relational circle, you add a new resource. That's why if churches keep growing with the same people that come, all we keep bringing is the same stuff to church. But when you add people in the mix that are outside of the demograph, outside of the norm, they bring stuff with them that is not currently in the mix of our church demographs. And certainly our church learned that the hard way years ago when we were settled into our white middle class congregation who need Christ like anybody else, but there's more people in town than that. This guy is an amazing piece of work, this centurion. And though it's talking about the centurion servant in the subheading, that's the least of whom this is about, isn't it? Because we know nothing about the servant. Don't know the servant's male or female, what is the nature of the sickness, how long the sickness had been in this person's life, why this person matters so much to the centurion. What happened at the point of healing and the recovery? You know, all those things and more we do know about other people Jesus helped. We know nothing about this servant, and yet the, the story is set up as the centurion's servant. So we know it's not about the servant. The miracle, in fact, is a postscript at the end. It's so insignificant. No, the, the, the real miracle here is not what happened to the servant. The real miracle is what the centurion brought to the table that day that I'm calling the centurion factor. Because the elders said to him, here's how this thing's works. You're in our territory now. Trust us. We've got to get Jesus to come to your house. What he'll do is he'll come to the house. You'll take him into the room where the sick person is. Jesus lays hands on the sick person and transfers power and healing into that sick person. And then that's when the supernatural... This conversation with the centurion probably went something like that. So he's like, monkey see, monkey do. Okay, so... Get Jesus to my house if you can. So they go to Jesus and present the case, as I said. On his way to the man's house, he sends a second delegation to intercept Jesus. And tells these guys to say to him, look, Jesus, don't come to my house. I was embarrassed in the first place about that idea. I'm sure you've got better things to do than be in my house. And I'm sure you're in, you're in enough trouble already without being seen in my house. So, hey... I understand authority. I understand you're an authority too. My understanding of authority is I tell people to do something and they go and do it. I don't do it myself. I don't have a dog and bark myself. So I send my servants and my servants go and do what I've asked them to do. And I figure that, I figure that you are the same. You understand authority from what I understand. I figure that you therefore, like I send a person, you can send a word. That word is like a staff member. You can send a word, and that word goes where you send it and does what you sent it to do. And I think the centurion understood this because he lived in a world of letters and governmental policy updates and military instructions. And on that letter was a seal. And the seal was the signature and the power and the authority of the person that sent it. If he didn't do what was in the letter, he could lose his role, lose his position, lose his liberty, perhaps his life. So he lived in a world of commands, orders, instructions being sent around the Roman world 
But the person that sent it was never present when it was delivered. So he understood. For authority and power to work does not require physical presence of the person that sent it. So he's figured this out. He's a complete outsider. He's a heathen. He's not been in the teaching meetings. He's not been in the foundation course. He's not in church on Sunday. He spent all his life outside of Christ. But he had an insight about authority. This is why we need these kind of people in our churches. And if not in our churches, in our circle of relationship. Because there's people who know stuff. And they know it because they don't have our baggage. They effortlessly understand what we're trying to do because they're not part of us trying to do it. They effortlessly think, well, have you tried it this way? And we're like, uh, no. And the idea is so shocking to us and yet so simple because we can't often see the wood for the trees. So Jesus turns to the guys at this second delegation and this message they send about authority. So his insight about authority and therefore the understanding about Jesus not having to come to his house, he's amazed at that, but here's the second bit of why he's amazed. No one knew. None of, none of the disciples knew. The Jews didn't know. The elders of the Jews that are getting him to go to the house, clearly they did not know. No one knew that it was possible to speak a word and someone receive a miracle. Here's how no one knew. It had never happened yet. This is the first time in Jesus' life where he was not going to be present, where he was not going to physically be in the same space as the person needing the breakthrough. This is the first time he's not going to go to the house, though he's on the way to the house. So the second message says, I know you're on the way to the house because I'm told that's how this stuff works. But I have another idea, the centurion says, just send your word, speak your word, stay where you are. No one, no one knew. I can imagine the disciples saying to each other, what? What, what did these guys say? Yeah. You, you watch Jesus. Just watch Jesus straighten these people out. Who do these people think they are? These Romans think they've got it all down. Just watch Jesus educate this guy and say, look guys, I'm sorry. This is my area right now. I'm going to come to your home. I'm going to lay hands on the sick person. This is how the supernatural works. Don't try coming, t telling us how to do our thing. If you know anything about the disciples, you do know they're entirely capable of that kind of discussion. <laughs> and Jesus turns to the guys and says, Wow, what just freaking happened? Wow, I am amazed because no one even knew. I have not uttered a word. No one knew that this was an option except one person. Think about it. The only person who knew that this was an option was Jesus. And he didn't say anything. What? What? He's going down this road to the man's house knowing he doesn't need to. 
Now, even in the economy of life, if you told me tomorrow, you've got three months to live. You have three months to get out what's in you. I am not going to be wasting my life taking journeys I don't need to take. Jesus has got three years, maybe two left at this stage. And he's going down a road to this man's house, taking a journey, giving a day to something he didn't need to do. And he knows, he knows he doesn't need to do it that way, but he's still going. Until the man came and said, I have another idea. And Jesus said, cool, we'll do it that way then. Well, if we can do it that way, if you knew you didn't need to go to the man's house, why didn't you say something? I'll tell you why. Because this whole thing we're involved in called Christianity, called the church, called the kingdom of God, this whole deal operates, unfolds, gets better, moves to new levels according to our faith, not according to His ability. So if our faith settles here, and God's ability is way up here, it means that potentially for generations, our small faith, which we think is big compared to maybe where we've been before, our small faith leaves stuff on the table that is part of His ability. And God knows that a better and fresher and quicker ways to get something done, but doesn't say anything. So God would rather walk down roads He does not need to. In your life, in our churches, God will waste his time, as it were, doing the same thing he's always done. You've got to get him to come to your house. So that's how we build our churches. That's how we build our ministries. You, this, you know, this is how it happens, guys. We, we do this. We, we build like this. We get a building like that. We meet in this. We, this is how we do worship and media and ministry and preaching. So, so you really... God will, God will do the same thing He's always done, which doesn't make us a bad church or weak. We'll still go to heaven. We'll still have a great time. We'll still feel the anointment and glow in the dark when the Spirit's on us. And God will stay there with us and never tell us there was another way. There was a better way. There was other stuff I could have done, but I knew that you didn't. You ever thought you know someone really well? And then they do something, say something, and you're like, what? I didn't know you could do that, or you knew that. <clears throat> Some years ago, a friend of mine called Bill, I'd known Bill for 15 years. Bill and I were in the coffee shop at the university campus and talking about the university and the students and reaching into the community there. And as we got up to leave, about a dozen Chinese students came in and sat down. These kids were sat down ordering coffee and 
chatting to each other in Chinese and we got up to leave and as we were leaving the coffee shop Bill says just give me a minute will you walks over to these kids I kid you not and started speaking to them in fluent freaking Chinese hello 15 years I've known Bill Bill didn't just memorize a couple of words in case you're thinking that Billy's gone fluent these kids faces lit up as Bill knew their language intimately Bill I'd never seen Bill so animated so happy to speak Chinese and these kids I mean talk about our Chinese ministry from that point was born I'm watching Bill do this in case you're thinking you know there must have been something Chinese about Bill no Bill was as Yorkshire as they come like a hobbit from the Shire that's how non-Chinese Bill looked sounded behaved no clue no clue I get Bill outside by this time I'm I'm upset shocked you ever been so shocked that you're mad it was that I'm like Bill Bill what what Bill whoa hang on 15 years I've known you Bill I didn't know you never told me why didn't you tell me I whew, Bill I'm like whoa who I'm, I'm wanting to know first of all this is how upset I am before I tell you what I'm gonna tell you Bill 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 you speak Chinese why you you never told me you speak Chinese what in the world why didn't you tell me and Bill as calm as you like looked at me and said you never asked <laughs> overflow you never asked and that was Bill that was done Bill was done that was it explained everything you never asked why would I why would I what clue was there Bill that you might speak Chinese what was it about you that I missed that was my heads up hey I think Bill speaks Chinese what a stupid thing to say to me you never asked why would I ask God speaks Chinese but he won't tell you how scary is that God can do stuff but it do the same stuff but he's always done unless we come up with a centurion factor kind of audacity curiosity immaturity presumption cheek rudeness naivety call it whatever you want to call it because I'm sure it's been called all those things in history and when the guy said you know what stay where you are just speak the word Jesus kind of went boom high five I could do that what if you can do that why didn't you tell us because you never asked this suggests to me that heart church 
will have a year very similar to the last one and the one before that. Or there'll be changes of personnel and you might get some more trendy songs and more skinny jeans might appear. <laughs> we might ring the changes a little bit, change our structure, change our name, do some online stuff, do some more trendy branding. Might do all that, which makes the year feel a little bit fresh and different. But basically, basically, I just wonder if our years really look the same until somewhere someone gets God to speak Chinese. Then others call that. Others around the world say, have you heard what's happening in that church in Nottingham? Whoa, what, what do you mean? Have you heard what these guys are doing? It's unbelievable. It's an absolute move of God. And they'll come and want to interview you about it and want a formula they can go and reproduce somewhere else. Your gift to them will be able to say, I have no idea how to tell you to do that. All we did was we were stupid enough to get God to speak Chinese. Well, well uh, how do we get him to do it where we live? I don't know. There's no formula. We can't franchise it. Every, every year in our church, for years, we had a Christmas cabaret event. It was like a black tie event. My wife organized it and, and, and thousands of people from our city over the years. There'd be about five or six hundred people per night. Did it for three nights in a row. Every year for years. And, and it was a, a meal, but then people in the church would, you know, entertain. Cabaret style. What was fascinating was the auditions. When we would sit at the auditions and people would come to the auditions who'd been in our church years and get on stage and do stand-up comedy or juggle or do magic or play an instrument better than anybody up here that did it every week or would sing amazingly or would do some kind of fire-breathing act or would be an escapologist, or would get up and entertain with a skill, a, a dance that they'd invented, or a rap, or recite poetry. And we would be sat there at the audition like, oh my gosh, you have been in this church for years, and we never, I mean, most of it was rubbish, to be honest, but, <laughs> but the, the bits that were like good enough to go to London. Right. We're glad you're going to London. To, you know that Britain's got talent thing. And the joy at the cabaret for me was watching the rest of the church see for the first time what I knew was coming. Right. I mean, for three months, by the way, for three months, I made Bill speak Chinese right. to everybody that didn't know he could. Because right. I wanted to watch them experience what I experienced. And then Bill, after three months, got fed up of it, wouldn't do it anymore. <laughs> Unless I paid him. Bill wasn't daft. He was a full Yorkshireman right there. <laughs> if people that are sat next to you this morning, people you're married to, people you've done life with, 
are capable of something, knowing something, they can do something, but you did not know, never dreamed they could do, how much more God, who to know for a million years would merely be scratching the surface. Yet we continue to make him walk down roads he longs to be freed from. I wonder if God feels trapped in a bad marriage. I wonder if God feels fed up by the nagging wife that we have become to him. Because we're upset with him all the time when he includes people we don't approve of. When he uses people, we've told him it's impossible to use them. When he does things outside of our frame of reference and not with our permission and doesn't involve us, doesn't consult us. We nag him, we give him a hard time, we rant and we complain, do drama. What if God feels trapped in a bad marriage sometimes? Who knew that a man could get the sun to stand still? How whacked is that? See, the problem for us is we read it in the Bible and flick the page. That's interesting. Next page. Whoa, 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 whoa. What just happened? A man, a man shouted at the sun. I mean, I'm sure on the day it happened, it was as odd as it sounds now. It sounds less odd because you know it happened. This awareness that it happened dulls us to the shock and awe of what a man just came up with. Because his problem is very simple. I'm in a battle. We're winning. It's getting dark. If it gets dark before we win them, they'll be back tomorrow. And on it will go. But if we had a few more hours of daylight, it's at such a tipping point... I think we could do so much damage to them if we just could continue to press our advantage. I think today could be the day of all days to end the tyranny of these people because we could defeat them so badly, but we need about another six hours of daylight. This is, a, this is his problem. Had the day ended by the enemy escaping and that worst case scenario happening would have flicked the page in our Bible gone on to the next scenario, no one would have noticed anything. Business as usual, same thing, not uncommon, doesn't make Joshua a bad leader. Doesn't make what happened that day anybody's fault. It just happens. You can't control the weather, or can you? So whatever happened that day in, Jonah's, in Joshua's brain, I don't know, but he looks at the sun and shouts, Sun, stand still! I mean, right now, in this town, someone doing that in the town center. You know what I'm saying? And this bloke that's doing it is in charge. I'm sure the troops thought Joshua needs a spa vacation. Because he just came up with something that must be a result of him being so stressed. Bless him. He must be so pride. He's shouting at the sun. Let's come back another day, Joshua. We'll beat them later. Lord, I need the sun to stand still. You know what God did? 
God went, boom, high five. I can do that. Well, then if you can do that, why didn't you tell us? If you knew that we're in this dilemma, the pain's excruciating, it's make or break, it's a defining moment in history, and you know you can do something to help us, why didn't you say, because you never If it comes down to that, how scary is this? Because what this does is it shifts the loading around from God to us in a way we never thought was an option for us. We just think we're on the coattails of God. We just think we have to just move when God moves, that we're inside His permissions, that we're inside His modus operandi, that what God does, we kind of jump in on it. This is not... This is not God initiating. This is human beings telling God what to do. This is people saying, God, do this. And God's like, boom, I can do that. Well, then why didn't you tell us? Because you never asked. And if you continue not to ask, I will continue not to tell you. And you will keep going down roads you don't need to. And you'll still get a result. Someone will still get help. The servant girl still gets healed. It's, it's still a good result if we do it the old way. But now I know, now I know about this just send a word stuff. Now I know you speak Chinese. Now I know you can make the sun stand still, which by the way, the sun doesn't move. So what he's doing is he is delaying the orbit of the earth around the sun. So Joshua's side of the earth stays in daylight longer. This is, a, this is an interruption in planetary alignment but God didn't say hey even for me that's a big ask for such a small payoff I mean Joshua I'll give you victory tomorrow you need some rest you'll get them tomorrow there was another way to skin that cat there was another way to get it done and Joshua just came up with this thing where he got it from I don't know but God says boom I can do that but I wouldn't tell you I could do it but because you asked and came up with it Boom, I can do that. And the Bible says there's never been a day like it before or since when God listened to a man about what? About planetary alignment. Who knew? It wasn't God's idea. It was Joshua. Who knew that sick people could be healed in a man's shadow? How ridiculous is what I just said. We don't think it is because it's in the Bible and we know it and flick the page. But hang on. Imagine being a first hearer of such an idea. And you're sick and you're so sick that you can't get to the healing service. You can't get there ahead of the crowd. You can't get there on time. So you can never get Jesus' attention, which is how you think you get your miracle. You've been told the way to get a miracle is you've got to get Jesus to eyeball you, lay a hand on you, like the Jews told the centurion to come to your house, these sick people, for them, that's not an option. They can't get there. So desperate people do different things and weird things and crazy things in desperate times. And they had a conversation and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and park ourselves in the area of the street where when Peter walks past every day on his daily walk or daily trip to the temple or whatever we are going to park ourselves so that when his shadow hits our bodies 
we get a miracle, we get healed, and we get set free in His shadow. We got to make sure that we are lined up right. We got to make sure we're in His shadow. This was not God's idea. This was not Peter's idea. This was crazy people who, who didn't have enough theology to know it's not an option. Who, who were naive enough, who were crazy enough, who were idiot enough, immature enough, presumptuous enough to say, let's just go and get a miracle in that guy's shadow. Do you know what God did? Boom, high five. I can do that. Well, if he knew you could do it, why didn't you tell us? We could have had shadow healings for years. Why didn't you tell us? You never asked. You never asked. I wonder what we are not asking God about that He's desperate to do somewhere in the earth again and again. But what changes history, what shifts, what's a game changer, isn't anything God does. How can, we get the band back up here by the way, gives people hope we finish when I say that. You can come now love. Last time you jumped upon me, scared me to death. <laughs> I think, it worries me that, it worries me that somewhere in our lives, in our churches, that God is, doing business as usual and he does all kinds of other things but he's not doing it on our watch in our generation because we're not asking and we're not asking because we're doing business as usual and we're still getting a result and getting an outcome so we don't want to be ungrateful or complaining so we're still blessed we're still growing but there's this nagging feeling I have that God wants to do something else and something fresh and new and He's not going to tell us. But he's wondering whether or not we have sufficient imagination, sufficient amounts of crazy. Because after all, think about it. If God is the same throughout history, if His Word is the same throughout history, if His Spirit and His purpose is the same throughout history, if His power is the same throughout history, if all of that stuff the same, then why is history not the same. Why are there spikes in church history of unusual divine activity in the earth? I don't know what to call it and I don't want to use old language so that you park there and you don't track with this next few minutes. I'm saying this to you because if there's an X factor there's an X factor in church history it can't be found amongst things that never change if the ingredients in the cake are always identical then if the cake turns out different in a generation we can't say well was God different was his purpose and his word, his spirit different? What was different about the cake in that generation? The difference has got to be, the X factor has got to be us. Us. 
We are the only changing element. And God is only as good. And the cake is only as good as what God has to work with humanity. And when God finds a centurion or a Joshua or a Moses or an Apostle Paul or a Peter or millions of others that you'll never hear of that did the same stuff when God finds that personally corporately God says okay on this season of history I get to make a different cake because there's a new ingredient in town that the church are throwing in and whenever I get that through history all these things that never change have a catalytic element thrown in and it's catalytic centurion factor audacious faith gets me to be able on that watch to make a different cake for humanity to build a different kind of church to have a different kind of imprint and footprint and influence in that country in that city in that generation I'm going to tell you when half of our church left in 1998 through 2300 people left I remember saying to God one day on my lowest day when I didn't know where it would stop 200 have gone they all could have gone 200 people in I'm so exhausted with people leaving and taking a piece of me with them everyone I remember saying to God Lord if you're up for it I'm willing to give this another shot with whoever's left I don't know who that might be because it's all still kicking off I don't know where this will settle but if you're up for it God I'll I'll serve you again with what's left you know what happened how how unhelpful is God how rude is God God never said a word to me Here's me offering my heart and soul when I've got nothing left. I mean, give me a break, God. Give me, throw me a crumb. Nothing. 16 years on, the story tells itself. So I figured out that when I said, God, I'll give it another shot if you want. I think God leaned out of heaven and went I could do that I didn't think you'd ask I thought you were finished because most people in your situation curl up in a ball and quit because they all left you all your gift, all your talent all the money went out the door I thought you'd just spend the next 20 years crying into your tea another burned out pastor church split, left you high and dry, can't pay the building, can't pay the bank loan, in financial trouble, people have gone, all the leaders have gone, told you what a terrible leader you are, you believe all that, curl up in a ball, quit. That's what I thought comes next. That's the road I always walk down with you people. 
They don't say to me what you just said. They don't say to me when they're on the deck, about to be counted out. Lord, I'll go, I'll go another round if you want. It's what I think maybe God said. I like him. See that? See that guy? I like him. All those people left and he says, Lord, I'll have another go if you want. What? 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 You speak Chinese. Maybe you speak Chinese. I don't know. Tell you what. You can have business as usual this next year in this church. And you know what? We'll make you a bad church at all. If you stay where you are, you're already way beyond average in this country. If you just cruise home from here, you won't hear a complaint from anybody, not from God. This leaves us with an option of stepping up, attempting something, imagining something, asking for something, pushing on a door, leaning on an issue, saying, why not us, why not now, why not Nottingham? People have told me for years, your church makes no sense in Bradford. Bradford's a dump. People are trying to get out of Bradford. Well, I think God clearly didn't understand that. God must have his postcodes mixed up. Maybe people think about Nottingham like that. God is not a prisoner of geography. So if you can come up with something that I would call a centurion factor human interruption of God's repetitive divine intention, you will get a shift and a disturbance and a hijacking of business as usual and jar something loose, force something loose that becomes the new norm in this church, in our churches in this country. You can't have got where you are without this. So this is already the mix of this church. What happens is there are massive lulls between it. That's what I'm trying to shorten. You can't have got here without centurion factor. It's in the mix of this church. What happens is it fades and it loses its potency and fades and we give it names that are not helpful. We shroud it in mystery and divinity like God do it again. And God's like, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. I was going to do something else that was the same as I'd done the year before but someone did something that got my attention so that's when I did what you're saying is a random thing that you think I'm withholding from you if you beg me enough I'll do it for you it wasn't like that but someone stepped up and got me to speak Chinese we look back and call it wasn't that an amazing move of God God's like well hang on a minute I've got a lot more than that in the cupboard I can do a lot more stuff than that. I don't want to do it. And we need him to do it in this country, in our churches. When 98% of our country are still not in church. Business as usual has got to stop. Let's stand together. Come on, time's gone.